This is a shir on the Kutusichis, Chelek Tes Zayin. That's book number 16. Sichav Shmoy is the second sicha. On the Pulse, which it says about Moshe Rabbeinu after he was born and his mother couldn't hide him anymore, it says that he, she placed him, Basuf, she placed him in the reeds, Al Sefasayer at the edge of the river. And the Targum says, Targumun says, Al Kefnara means at the river banks. So from that we understand that Yecheved placed the reed basket that she had made. It was durable against water. <coughs> it contained Moshe inside. And she put him not in the river itself, in the air, but on the banks, on the dry banks near the river. However, when we continue reading in the story in the Torah, it seems to be clear that the Teva, that the box that contained Moshe Rabbeinu was not on the banks of the river, no, was in the suf, it was in the reeds that in the air, as the Pasik says even more explicitly, that Batya, the daughter of Parai, who took Moshe out of the water, called him Moshe. She called him Atikar Shmei Moshe. Why did she call him Moshe? Because Moshe means to draw out, because she drew him out of the water. That means he was actually in the river, not just at the banks. So the Rogit Shover, and by the way, um, there's two, <laughs> the fact that she put him on the banks would make sense because otherwise we have a question that Barbanel asks and other asks the question, how could she put him in a dangerous place with her own hands? Miriam would put, uh, 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 the mother would put the baby in, um, in the dangerous place. If we say she put him on the banks, that, that, that makes sense. Not a directly a Makam Sarkon, a place of danger. On the other hand, you do see that Yechevet prepared the basket she these are, this is from the footnotes here, footnote 4 and then footnote 5. You see that Yechavit prepared the basket to be in the water. She made it watertight. So it does make sense that afterwards he does land up being in the water. In other words, so why is he placed at the side? We, two th- we see two things. He's placed aside and he lands up being in. So the Rogit Shover going and explains, since the Midsim were worshipping the Nile River, so Yechavit was not permitted to put Moshe into the box, into the actual river. It was idolatrous, as there's a law that you're not allowed to use idolatry even to save your life, right? This is one of the three cardinal sins that we give up our life for. And therefore, she placed him in the reeds at the side of the river. However, afterwards, what happened is that Paroi's daughter went to wash herself in the river, and our sages tell us means she went to rinse herself, to purify herself from the idolatry of her father. So in other words, she was showing that she's coming to become unidolatrous. She's becoming, she's rejecting idolatry. Somebody who comes from idolatry and, and is mevatal rejects that idolatry. Now the idolatry, now this idolic symbol is no longer idolatrous. And now the teva, Moshe's box, was able to come into the river where it perhaps would be ordered, uh, afforded more protection or where Batya would see it. Here the question is, we took a premise that you're not allowed to hide. You're not, you wouldn't have been allowed to use the river if it was idolatrous to save Moshe. Interesting, the Rebbe points out in the footnote, I, I, I'm bringing out this footnote because it's an interesting thing, that in Shulchan Aruch, actually, it says that if somebody is in danger, there are two opinions about whether he's allowed to go into a house that idolatry is worshipped there or not. Some say permissible, some say not, especially 
if there's a campaign, it's a Shas Gezeira, there's a total battle against the very premise of belief in Hashem. In other words, it's not just that there's uh, non-Jews uh, chasing a Jew because Chves, something uh, unrelated to Yiddishkeit. Chves, maybe they're chasing him for his money. So then, but here there's actually an environment going on where there, there's, there's a battle against stamping out the very essence of Judaism. Then, um, the opinions even that say that you could go into a house to save yourself, remember, because going into a house has a different classification, but even they say if it's a, a battle against the, the, the heart and soul of, of, of belief in Hashem, then you can't go in there either. So here the Rebbe says, look what I'm going to say in chapter 3-4 of the Sicha, you're going to see that we're going to describe this immersion, this concept of the Nile River as being an idolatrous icon in Egypt is actually at the crux of belief in Hashem. It's not just, uh, you know, happens to be, uh, well, so therefore, it would make very much fit in what, what the Raget Shover God is saying. It was idolatrous, and therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu's mother placed them at the banks. She couldn't use the Yair to save her son, because it was, would be saving him through idolatry. Batya came, and she uh, Basia Baspari came, daughter of Pari came, and she rejected, and thus cancelled out this um, this idolatry, and now the box can come. Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, Teva, Moshe Rabbeinu's little ark, can come into the water. Base the Medr says, why did they put him into the water in the first place? Why did his, the mother? Why did why did Moshe Rabbeinu's mother decide to put him into the air? I mean, she could have hidden him somewhere else, because the astrologers had a prediction that there's somebody that's born to save the Jewish people. And the person who's born to save the Jewish people is going to be meet his end through water. Of course, it's the water from Meshach hitting the rock, which is why I can't go into it at all, but they didn't see that clarity. They saw that water is going to somehow affect, be the antidote to the one who's supposed to save the Jewish people. So therefore, Pare said, anybody that's born throw him into the river. And that's why Meshavim's mother threw him into the river, because once she threw him into the river, then the astrologers got the message, he's taken care of. The, he, the, the, the savior is in the water. And they thought that that's it. It's over. So in this way, in this way, we don't have an issue. She knew that the, that the um, she knew that Yecheved thus knew that Meshach Rabbeinu's life will be saved because once the astrologers tell Pari, okay, the, the Savior is already in the water, they won't look for him anymore. Now the Rebbe points out in a, in a footnote, we just said though that Yecheved didn't put him on the water. We said Yecheved put him on the banks. So how could she have taken care of the astrology aspect? So for two things, either this, this Medrash that Yecheved put him in the water to take care of the astrologer's prediction is, is, not in, is not consistent with the Targum that says that he was, that translates Safasayur as being as on the bank, on the dry bank of the river. It could be there's another, uh, uh, there's another, that Midrashim don't always agree with each other. There are various, uh, various versions, so to speak. So it could be this version, Medrash says, no, she actually put him in the water. Or, says that we could say, Yechebit was a prophetess. She knew that, She's going to put him on the river banks because right now it's idolatry, but she knew it's going to land up going into the water when it's permissible. And so therefore she took care of the astrologers, uh, the, the ominous 
uh, note that the astrologers, even Parlo, now the astrologers came back and said, taken care of. Now says the Rebbe, we have two competing things. We have to, not competing, we have two different things. First of all, we have um, the air. Uh, <coughs> Moshe Rabbeinu is put into the air, and then the air is cancelled, because Batya rejects the idolatry there. And at the same time, what else is cancelled out is the Gizeira, the decree that Pariyad made that every child, every son, should be put into the river. So both of these are somehow interconnected. The cancellation of the idolatry of the river and the cancellation of the edict that every son has to be thrown into the river. They're connected with each other and they're also specially connected with Moshe Rabbeinu who's the savior, here, savior of the Jewish people. Gimel. So we'll understand this <clears throat> through explaining what is the inner meaning, the Teichen Pnimi. What is the inner meaning of this decree the Pari made that every son that's born should be thrown into the Ye'er River? From the fact that the Torah tells us not just the fact that Pari wanted to kill the, 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 the children, <coughs> but also how he wanted to kill them, that you should throw them into the river. So from that we understand that it's not just a detail. Para is saying, I want to kill all the boys and I want to throw him, I want to do it by throwing him in the river. And the reason for river, right, we said because there's an astrologer's report that the, the savior of Israel is going to be taken care of by water, going to be judged by water. So that's why he said get thrown into the river. It's difficult to say that that's why the Torah wrote that detail because in the end of the day, why do we need to know that detail? But once, in other words, the only reason we need to know about this astrologer report is because the Torah told us that Paris said specifically to throw them in the river. Footnote Rebbe puts, points out that there were actually two stages. If you read the Psukim in Shemais, the beginning of Shemais, it says he told the, the midwives, every born, for every, every boy, kill him. Only later does, does he say, every boy, throw him into the river. The Rebbe says this is the two stages here are just, in the beginning, it was only every Jewish boy, he told the Jewish midwives, and in the end, Pare was scared that perhaps the Savior will come from anyway, he doesn't know from which family he'll come, so he said every boy of any one born in Egypt has to be thrown into the river. But it's the same concept, he was looking to kill, so what's the difference how he kills? I, you'll say, the only reason he needs to bring the story about the astrologers is because he told us, throw into the earth, so don't tell us the detail about throwing in the river, and then you won't have to tell us the detail about the astrologers. It seems to be redundant to the actual storyline, so to speak. Says the Rebbe, but this is not, this is actually the reason it's brought, is we understand from this, this is something very pivotal here regarding the Golas of Egypt. To the extent that something very general is expressed here about what the exile of Mitzrayim means. The explanation is... The intention of the decree of Parai, when he said, throw them into the river, into the Nile, into the idolatry of Egypt. What is Parai trying to say? He's trying to say he wants the Jews to be thrown in, Arayin thrown in, under trunken, and swallowed up and, and, and drowned in the idolatry of Egypt. In other words, he wants them to be, we're talking here about a spiritual um, a spiritual demise that Pare is intending to inject into the Jewish people through throwing the first boy, through throwing the boys into the river. Getting them, the river is idolatry. The Nile is idolatry. 
getting them thrown in there and totally consumed and, 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 and swallowed up and drowned in Egypt. What is that? Dalit. The fact that the Egyptians worshipped the Nile is very simply because this is the river that gave them in a natural way. This was the source of their Parnassah. As it's known, their livelihood comes, obviously, from... Um, from, from uh, what you call it, no, agriculture. And Egypt is a land where it doesn't rain, but how do things grow? It's got to do with the fact that the river Nile rises and irrigates and waters the fields. And therefore, a person may, this leaves room for a person to be convinced, think, and convince themselves that his Parnassah comes that the Parnassah and sustenance of Egypt comes, God forbid, not from Hashem. And the Rebbe writes here, in the language of using the Sikhim, it gives room that a person can ultimately convince himself that it comes not from Hashem. In other words, the, 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 the first reaction is, of course, everything comes from Hashem. But... Um, when a person gets desensitized, so that ever sends it to the way the Avedah Zoreh in general developed. In the beginning, everybody knew everything comes from Hashem. But then they started slowly forgetting about the actual source. They paid attention to the sun and the moon that actually deliver the blessing of Hashem. They started to think that they were the main things. So here too, yeah. And this is a slippery slope with Parnasi. The thing that actually provides it to me, you start to think that that's the source. Square bracket says the Rebbe, because it's not like that when you need to wait for rain. When you need to wait for rain, everybody's looking up, waiting for rain. You feel that it's hinged on Hashem. However, when you have the Nile River irrigating, it's not evident that you're totally dependent on Hashem. The Rebbe quotes in the footnote, the Yerushalmi in Tainus. <laughs> the Gemara in Yerushalmi in Tainus gives four reasons why Hashem needs to make rain. He asks a simple question. If, if there's such a big ocean and all the rivers come from the ocean and we have a concept of, of, of underground springs, Hashem could irrigate the entire earth in an underground sprinkler system. Why does he need rain? He doesn't need rain. There's four reasons for rain, but the reason here that Rebbe is ascending to is it's in order to make people recognize that they're hinged on Hashem, that they're dependent on Hashem. You need to look up to Hashem. Rain can't make rain. Uh, even today, they make a little bit of face, something. But when it doesn't rain in a natural way, there's a drought cut from it. So you need Hashem, right? But it, unlike that, if the irrigation is coming from below, so you could think the, the, the irrigation is coming from the Nile. And, that, and, and that's what they, why they served the Nile. That was their source of Parnassah. And that was the decree of Paris. Paris said, I want all the Jewish boys to be thrown into the Nile. That the Jews should also, God forbid, become totally sub unterwerfen to them. They should also be totally under the they should be subservient also, or, or, or so to speak. They should they should also be under that impression. They should also be bound by that misconception that it's and beholden to the to nature, as if their source of sustenance is coming from nature. That's what Pari wanted the Jewish people to do. So, going back to what we said before, can you hide about the different opinions about hiding in a, in a house of, of idolatry? 
we said if it's a Shaz Gizeir, if there's a fight against the essence of Yiddishkeit, then you can't. Here, the, the, the denial was the whole, the, it wasn't just a, a, a secondary detail. The whole issue was about making the Jews feel that denial is the source of their sustenance. So this is a fight for, for belief in Hashem or not belief in Hashem. So in that kind of situation, it would be, in a, it would be forbidden to put Meshach Rabbeinu into the water. His mother put him at the side. Hey, in order that this decree, throwing him into the river, should be able to have any power on Eden. So first of all, it happens gradually. It happens through the fact that they descended to Egypt. So long that they were in Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael is a land upon which it says, the eyes of Hashem are on that land. You see clearly how the Eibishter is, how Hashem is being um, is supervising every detail. Right? And this is expressed in the fact that Eretz Yisrael was always a land that needed the reign of heaven. Especially as our sages tell us that Eretz Yisrael Hashem himself waters it. So, interesting, the Rebbe points out in the, in the footnote that this nature of Israel that it relies on God's reign, and you feel that openly, this was even before it became Israel. Right? This is, this is when it was still before the Golas of Mitzrayim. So the Yidin already living before Golas, before they went to Egypt, they already were living with that open feeling. And you can't make any mistake there to say, it's my power that makes me my money and gives me what I have. He can't think, oh, I plowed and I planted and that's enough. Now you see clearly it's Hashem who gives you the power to make your money and to have your success. You need to rain without that, nothing goes. More than that, so long, not just being in Israel, but as long as Yaakov and his children were alive. So even in Egypt, there couldn't be this mistake because they were, even while they were in Israel, they saw this in a revealed way that everything is dependent on Hashem. So therefore, even when they came to a place where what you see openly is actually that there's a natural cycle of being able to provide sustenance, the Nile rises and irrigates, but that didn't make them forget or conceal over the previous vision, what they had seen clearly about godliness, and that previous vision and clarity they had was able to affect that even in Egypt, they should have the knowledge at least the knowledge, in an in a, in a, in a, in a intellectual way, that nature comes from Hashem. And here the Rebbe gives us something that, in the square brackets, something general. In general, because we said that the remembrance of the way it was in Israel was enough. If you actually saw what took place in Israel and you're hinged, and being hinged dependent on Hashem, it was enough that when you came to Egypt and it looked different, you still understood at least intellectually, no, no, no. This is just a cover-up, but it's really from Hashem. And now says the Rebbe in the square brackets, just like the concept of Ness, in general miracle, the word miracle means uplifting. You know what Ness does? It doesn't just uplift when you see the miracle. It actually uplifts your entire perspective and knowledge about nature as well. It gives you an understanding that nature itself also is directed by Hashem. So the, the Ness is not just for the time of the Ness. The miracle comes and impacts your way of thinking so that later when you emerge and you deal with, with, with natural things, you understand this is really just a cover-up. This is from Hashem. 
However, after Yosef and all his brothers and all that generation passes away, nobody was left from the people that were Nersi's soul, then you have an issue, that's the total descent. The descent in Egypt was complete, and then everybody's submerged in this culture where everybody believes in nature, that the Nile provides the sustenance, and then there can be already room to try and influence the Jew to throw them into the river. Para is throwing them into the river. He's not just doing that. He's, he's trying to immerse them in this culture to forget about their dependence on Hashem. Uh, interesting, we just mentioned that there was nobody left who, was, who had seen life in Israel. In a long, lengthy footnote, the Rebbe brings several people that we do know were still alive. Serach, <coughs> Serach the daughter of Usher, Interesting, we know that Zimri, who was later killed at the end of 40 years, the leader of the tribe of Shimon, he was actually Shaul ben Aknanis. He was, also came into Israel. He came from Israel. So at the end of this footnote, the Rebbe says, there's no issue because we're talking about creating a, an, an environment of remembering belief in Hashem. And that environment would require at least some very a number of very prominent people to be setting the tone within the community. However, in, in other words, either the majority of the Jewish people had actually lived in Israel and seen and lived through this belief in Hashem, this total belief in Hashem, or at least would have to be some very prominent people um, that would create this, this, this awareness, spread, this, spread the buzz, so to speak, amongst the, the people, and the whole generation would be kept uh, walking straight. But just a few people that perhaps were not so... It wouldn't have had enough effect to save that generation from being in danger of being submerged in the culture of Egypt, where, where you see not Hashem as being the source, but nature. Vav continues that Rebbe, the concept of Moshe is that Moshe is the savior of Israel because he's the faithful shepherd. He is the one who draws down belief, emuna, to the Eden. What does it mean? Not just that they should generally believe that actually their belief should be what guides their life their actual deed, that even though they're in a place where they can't have any visualization of godliness because life there is not working in an open way where Hashem is providing, and even though they don't really have any proper understanding, as the Rebbe says in a footnote, Mitzrayim was full of idolatrous images, so their whole, their, their whole environment was one that was screaming against God. Nonetheless, Moshe is the savior of Eden, as the one who... who, who shepherds them with faith, <coughs> was able to achieve that the light of Hashem, the emunah of Hashem should illuminate their lives. And with that, they were able to oppose the decree of Pari. Ah, even though they previously also had the koyach of belief, because we know that Eden, according to their nature, are believers, the children of believers. Ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. Tell us Chazal, right? That's even when they were in Egypt. Nonetheless, General emunah, general belief, in a makivdika way, in a peripheral way, is not enough to actually affect the way you live. In order that the belief should have a, a direct um, impact on your life and in the way you actually, the person actually conducts himself, there needs to be what is called re'ayemunah. The, the belief needs to be brought in in a way of shepherding, just like a, a, a shepherd takes the sheep and they eat grass. You have to shepherd faith needs to be nurtured and the faith needs to come into the person, become part of who he is and this way it will affect and impact everything he does, the way he acts, the way he lives. And that was Moshe Rabbeinu who is called 
And the Zoya, Raya Mehemna, the faithful shepherd, but also the shepherd of faith. He brings faith into us. Zion. According to this, we'll understand why the Pasuk is also tells us specifically about Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moshe was a shepherd of the sheep of Yisrael, father-in-law, the, the Koy, Yisrael, his father-in-law, the prince of Midian, not just the prince of Midian, Koy Midian, he was formerly a, 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 a monk, a, a priest to idolatry. L'chaira, asked the Rebbe, the fact, we can understand why the Torah has to tell us that he was a shepherd, because it's known the Medrash, that the preparation and the test where Moshe was seen to be fitting and suitable to be chosen as the shepherd of Israel is by being a shepherd. He's able to take care of the sheep. We know the little sheep that ran away and he took care of it. Well, we see he's able to be the leader that looks after every single one. But what's, what's it relevant that the Torah tells this detail that he was a shepherd of the sign of the sheep of Yisrael and that Yisrael was a, a leader in Midian? But the Inyan Pnimi, what is it telling us? The inner track here, what it's telling us is that the Tzayin Yisrael the sheep of Yisrael, we know, um, refer, in Pneumia Satera, tells us that they were, um, it says in, in, in the Yalkut, it never brings the source down below, they were uh, Yalkut Uveni. They were, um, I'll say it and, and, and translate, they were Chayole Dikdusha, they were forces, Chayolim really means uh, soldiers, but forces of holiness, they were in the, in, they were there like sparks of holiness in the sheep, and Moshe Rabbeinu, through shepherding them, brought them closer to Kedusha. And that's why it says that he was dealing with the sheep of Yisrael, who was the priest in Midian. Even those sparks that were by the priest of Midian, he used to be a priest for idolatry. And it says that there was no idolatry that he hadn't tested out. Even in them. Moshe Rabbeinu was able to descend so deeply and affect even those sparks and those, those, those forces and bring them to Kedusha. And that's why this was the preparation for Moshe Rabbeinu to be able to be the shepherd of Yidin in Egypt when they're in such a low place, even being in a place where they can't see or visualize or understand properly godliness. What they see in an open way is the way nature is in charge, denial. Nonetheless, Moshe Rabbeinu is the shepherd of faith that can arouse them and draw within them the emunah of Hashem in an internalized way. Ches. This is also the connection between these two things, as we said before, cancelling out the Avedazar of denial and getting rid of the decree that every child needs to be thrown into the river. Why? Because internally they're the same thing. What the gzeda of throwing them into the river was? Because the river was the Avedazar of in Egypt. And what Moshe Rabbeinu was, did through his birth is that came to the Jews the ability, even in Egypt, he was born in Egypt, the ability that in Egypt, to get them out of this mindset. In other words, even this, 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 this arch enemy called the Ur, the river, he had the power, he gave the power to be able to do battle with that and to be able to see that the Nilus, that the Nile is an Avedizorah and... Uh, he had the power to be able to do battle against this idolatry of the Nilus, of the Nile River. Well, therefore, that's it. The Xerah was finished. He was trying to throw the boys into the Nile, get them to not believe in God. Moshe Rabbeinu came into the Nile and boom! He impacted the Nile and was out. So the Indian of Yitzhak is the test. The Indian of Yitzhak is every day. So we have to understand that also, going out of Egypt is every day. These things generally speak to us also today. The fact that there's sometimes a state of mind of seeing godliness before you go down to Egypt. 
the actual descent into Egypt, where you still are, uh, uh, you still reminisce about, you're still under, under the impression of the godliness you saw before you came into Egypt, and then the actual going out of Egypt. So we have this in the way we serve Hashem every day. What do we do every day? We go first to the shul to David, then we go from the shul to learn Torah, and then from to the Beis HaMedrash, and then from the house of study of learning Torah, we go to what's called Hanig Bahaminik Derechets, we go to do business. First we daven, then we'll study, and then we go and deal in Parnassah. So what does Yid do through davening? Through davening, through praying, the, a Jew draws upon himself a revelation of God in a way that he's actually in a state of visualization of Hashem. The world is Hashem, everything's from Hashem. After he prepares before davening, prepares himself for davening by meditating, learning chassidus, and then he meditates in the psukhidism and the songs of praise about how everything, all the creation is from Hashem and sings to Hashem. And then you come to saying Shema, Shema is Su'u, Marem Eichem is the acronym, raise your eyes above and see. See where, where everything comes from. See Hashem in a, in, a, in a revealed way. That's like Eretz Yisrael. And then what you have after that is Shemana Esra. Shemana Esra is, is, is the pinnacle, is the climax. It's like a servant standing in front of a, a master. Total subjugation. And before that we say, Hashem open up. Hashem Hashem open up my lips and my mouth is just gonna express in, in a natural way just your thing. In other words, I'm just becoming a, like a channel to express your praise, Hashem. After Davening, you leave the seeing of, of God, godliness and that kind of total bittle, total uh, submergence. And then you go two levels of descent. One level is from the base Knesset to the base Amerish, you go to study. Learning Torah, which is an amazing thing, you connect with Hashem, but the, the activity of learning Torah needs to be through your own physical understanding. That's, that's, that's the true uh, way of learning Torah, is you understand it in your physical mind. So even though that's already not in the state of, of being totally subliminally bottled to Hashem, so much so that you have to, from time to time, Tanya says you have to remember that it's Hashem's Torah because you get so caught up in the actual topic. But still, even though you're not totally standing in, in total bittle before Hashem, but you still feel the effect of the davening. The, the, the revelation of godliness that came into your soul at the time of davening has an effect that your understanding of Torah should also be in the proper way. Just like the going down to Egypt when Yaakov and his sons were still alive. You could be in Egypt, you could be a little bit less removed from Israel. You don't have that visual state, but you're still in full awareness. You're still The effect of Israel is still totally in you. The effect of davening, when you're learning, you're learning Hashem's Torah. Then you have the second descent when the Yid goes to do his business. Then, because of the covering up of, of, of what the world and nature covers up, a person could totally forget about godliness. Ah, and in order we should be able to totally always remember this. Hashem who gives you the power to make your money and to do your stuff. And in order that the business should be according to where Hashem wants you to do, according to the Shulchan Aruch. So that's with the koyach of emunah, because you have faith and belief in Hashem, which is brought down to you in Epnimius. If you have belief in Hashem, everything's from Hashem. So you're going to go and try and do something that Hashem doesn't want in order to make panasa. Panasa comes from Him. You've you got to go according to His terms. So emunah becomes in an internalized way. Yud. This is what we have to take, the hirah, the teaching we have to take for the service of Hashem. First of all, we have to know that when we go away from davening from a state of visualization, of total bittel to godliness, that's already a state of descent. Taka. Shulchan tells us we have to do it. We have to go and do work. But you have to understand that this is not your natural, pristine state of being a yid and connected with Hashem. Just like going down to Egypt. It was honest, it was because Hashem wanted it. So they had to go down to Egypt. But the natural place is to be 
totally connected in Kedusha with Hashem. So you go out, because that's what Hashem wants, and therefore you go out on Hashem's, on Hashem's turf. Second thing, on the other hand, you don't have to be scared of going out about the descent, because even though it's a great descent, you don't see godliness, and when you're doing business, you don't even have an understanding about godliness. When you're doing a business, you're thinking about the natural machinations of how things work, buying, selling, doing, right? But through the fact that you arouse the level of Moshe in your soul, becomes revealed your belief in Hashem in a way that it becomes pasteurized, not pasteurized, or a, it becomes internalized. It's like a sheep that takes his, his sheep to pasture. Your emunah becomes part of who you are. And that takes you out of your personal gallus till you're able to see in all of your things that you see that Hashem's eyes are upon you from beginning to end. In every aspect of your life. You understand? If, 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 you, if, you, if you have the Moshe and he's with you in Mitzrayim and he reminds you of the emunah, faith, so your life becomes, you're no longer in Egypt, your life becomes in a land where Hashem's eyes are always there. You see Hashem's Ashkoch all the time. You go from one goal or from the personal redemption to the big redemption through Mashiach Tzitkenu, the redemption of all of us will take us to the Holy Land, Bekadav Mamish.